Hey there, and welcome to Brushes with Cancer Spotlights. I'm Lindsay, and today I'll be chatting with Linda Roberts and her inspiration, Andrea Ludlow. We'll talk about their path together over these months, building a relationship, telling Andrea's story through art, and what they continue carrying with them from their experience together. So my name is Andrea Ludlow, and I am a survivor of melanoma and breast cancer. My name is Linda Roberts, and I am a landscape, nature, and fine art photographer. Wow. Okay. So, Andrea, I want to talk a little bit to you first about what it was like when you found out about your cancer, and then maybe some of the adjustments that you made in your life and and in your everyday routine. Yeah. So when I found out I had I had melanoma first and I had somewhat expected that I would get melanoma because my dad died of melanoma and the chances when you have a family member with melanoma, the chances are very high that you will get it. So I had it and it looking back since having breast cancer, the melanoma was no big deal. At the time it felt like a very big deal, but it was one surgery and it had spread clean margins. So it just meant going to the doctor more often. Um, and then about a year and a half later, seemingly unrelated, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was terrifying. And I was told by some people in the medical field that I uh, didn't have the best communication skills. So was I did not receive the information and then if place that felt safe or supportive. So it was extra terrifying because um, the person who, one of the people who told me said, um, in while I'm like taking my clothes off and I'm laying on a cold table, said something like, well, I can't tell you this won't affect your life expectancy or something horrific like that. So it was terrible. Everything shifted right away. I don't, I don't know how to say what didn't shift. It just, my whole life became about having cancer, what choices had to be made with everything, with treatment, with surgeries, with work, with my new puppy that I had just gotten, with my relationship, with with family, you know, just everything. There wasn't something that didn't shift. Yeah. After receiving this information in a way that didn't feel safe and didn't feel supported, what were the things that you found support and comfort in in this very challenging and unexpected time? I already had a beautiful community of friends that are mostly relationships that are 10 or 20 plus years. And so I already knew I had this support system that would be there. So that's who I instantly went to. The day I found out was actually that evening was my best friend's 40th birthday party and everyone was very excited. It was a pre-COVID, big celebration and dancing and everything. And I just, you know, was going to go to the party because I didn't, it would be strange if I wasn't there. So it was nice to see all these people I loved right away. Some of them who knew the news and some of them who didn't, but that is where I found support in, in my community. And I very specifically didn't join any cancer communities of any kind until probably a year ago. So it was just, you know, five years after my diagnosis. So I didn't want to be a part of a cancer support group but because it just felt too bad. Interesting. 
Yeah. Well, what had you seek out, I guess, maybe survivor groups or I guess maybe, I don't know if it's called mentoring people who are moving through a similar process to what you were in uh, five years ago. I think it was spurned by that about a year plus ago and someone who was barely an acquaintance, a friend of friends, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And our mutual friends said, you should reach out to Andrea because I <laughs> have lots of systems. I'm very good at systems. So I had all of these ways in which I navigated this path of cancer and was easy for me to share that information with her. So she became a new friend and a person who I was supporting through this process. And I think through meeting her and talking to her and then through Angela Trimbor, who I don't know if she's been directly associated with this group. She's an actress and performer. And I heard about her, these support groups she was setting up through Instagram. She had breast cancer. And so it just kind of all happened at once. And she was the one who told me about this organization and also this artist named Joy, whose name I can't remember her last name, who does drawings of people with cancer. If you send her a photograph, she will draw you. And so that is how that happened. It just was through a couple of coincidental events, I think. Wow. And Linda, can you tell me how you found out about Brushes with Cancer? I, well, kind of roundabout way, actually, I participate in art shows. And one of the people involved in the management of these art shows reached out to me and she said, this group supports us. They're one of our sponsors. And she said, I love your work and I think you would be a good fit. Can I give them your name? And so I said, of course, and then told her my story because I'm not a survivor, but I worked for years with women who had breast cancer. I'm a mastectomy fitter. So, you know, prosthesis, bras, compression garments, that sort of thing. So I worked with them and that's just a little backstory. But anyway, told that to Kelly and she sent my name to August and encouraged me to apply. And so I did. And that's how I found out with breast, about brushes with cancer. Wow, that's amazing. Well, tell me a little bit about how you two were connected and a little bit about the process of getting to know each other in, you know, the goal of making this new art piece. Well, once I was accepted as an artist, and I'm assuming Andrea had to go through a process of some sort to be accepted as an inspiration, they matched us up. And I'm not sure what their process was for doing that. And so what they had us do was we, we did a Zoom call. Of course, of course, this was in the middle of COVID. So we did a Zoom call and saw each other. And then we talked weekly for several weeks. And then, you know, that tapered off as we kind of did what we needed to do. But during that time, you know, Andrea told me her story and kind of some of her emotions and how she felt about this. And I just, I, I'm always out photographing. And as we talked, because of her love of the coast, this particular piece came to mind that I had taken, but I didn't want to use it, you know, just pure because it was too light and happy. So I took that piece and a couple other images from that shoot and combined them to create the piece that I'm submitting to the auction. Wow. Well, tell me a little bit about the parts of Andrea's story that 
spoke to you the most or that that still stick with you? I think the phrase that sticks with me the most, I, I ask her what it was like having cancer, what her, I forget the question, but she said it was like being in an abyss and that stuck with me. I wanted to do something that showed that darkness and the threat, but coming out of that abyss and moving forward and, and having life. Yeah. I'm wondering if when you said that it was like being in an abyss, what were you thinking of and, and what parts of your experience most felt like that? It felt so like, like an abyss, like a black hole of just this like endless kind of confusion, suffering, pain cycle of being asked to make these impossible decisions and in the middle of this crisis. So, and now we are living in a world where that's sort of what we're all doing every day. <laughs> but, um, but back then, and because it was very personal, it just felt so dark. So like I was alone that no matter, I mean, like I just said, I had this beautiful community and the support of all of these people who I love so dearly, but I was still doing it alone. No matter how much love and support they were giving me, they didn't have cancer. They weren't having the surgery. And so that was what this was. And also I, I already had a pretty severe lack of trust of the Western, Western medicine. My dad, as I mentioned, had died of cancer and my best friend had died of cancer and watching that process was terrible. And I just don't trust a lot of Western medicine. So to be stuck in this place where I'm going to five doctor's appointments a day and I kind of had to be involved in Western medicine in some way was really challenging. So those were kind of the abyss feelings. So, I mean, having this distrust, which is completely understandable, and I feel like a lot of people probably feel that way about not just Western medicine, like doctors and hospitals in general. What would what advice do you give to people who are in the same position of having to actually participate in the system that they inherently aren't very comfortable in? Yeah. The advice I give is to, even though it feels exhausting, keep going and meeting new doctors until you find one that you feel listens to you, answers your questions, takes their time, and treats you like a person and not a case mm -hmm. Because I met at least five of every kind. And if any, I don't know, Lindsay, what experience you have with cancer, but you know, there's medical oncologists, surgical surgical oncologists, radi radiation oncologists, plastic surgeon, you know, there's all of these different kinds of doctors you need on your team. And I met probably five of each kind of those doctors I decided on my team. And I know that it's exhausting when you find out you have cancers. Some people are like, whatever this doctor who is the doctor that I'm referred to tells me what to do, I'm going to do it. And I don't judge people who make that decision. But for me, I couldn't do that. I had a male, there it's, it was also, you know, there was a male doctor thing that was happening where a male doctor said to me, let's just throw the kitchen sink at this. And this is my body, is me. And so I just 
couldn't believe that somebody would say that to me. And I just want people to know that, I mean, I have the luxury of living in a city, but it's important that you feel listened to and respected through this process, which is so alienating and scary. So that's the advice. And I guess to add to that, I also made sure I had naturopathic people on my team, a naturopathic oncologist, an acupuncturist, a yoga teacher. I had all of those people whom I did trust also on my team. Yeah. So you were using every avenue available to you in the way that you felt most comfortable and not eschewing any one thing or the other or just blindly accepting one thing or the other. And I think that's part of what I found so inspiring talking with Andrea is that she not just took matters into her own hands, but she looked at it from a holistic viewpoint and what, what's best for my body. Well, Andrea, can you tell me what it was like when, or have you seen any of Linda's work? Well, I have seen a little, so I've seen the piece, not live, but I've seen an image of the piece. Um, although it's a, I feel like I want to experience the texture of it because I think that's part of it. So I've, and I've also seen, now we're Instagram friends. So I've seen some of Linda's photos on Instagram, but that, that's it. Yeah. Well, I, it sounds like through this process, you kind of develop a friendship and like an intimate knowledge of the other person. So getting to see Linda's work and the work that was inspired by her conversations with you, what was that like for you in going through that experience? It was wonderful and so cool and unique. And it just, first of all, having a, a person who was a stranger, just talking to them and talking to her, talking to Linda and telling, <laughs> her, and telling her my story and finding that we have a lot of things kind of in common and just we felt very like-minded and that's just a nice reminder about humanity and about how you know here's a person who I never would have met I never would have met Linda in any other circumstance and, and so it's nice knowing that she's out there <laughs> um and then seeing the art and just the process of the the way that Linda included me in so many steps of, of not just listening to my story but in the steps of creating the art and decisions about how big it would be and what it would be printed on. I mean, she was making the decisions, but she was asking me my opinions and including me in the process. And it just was so, like I said, so cool and unique. And there's a very humbling part to it. And a, a little bit, I will say, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but just like, Oh, I'm just a person. I don't know that I deserve to be honored in this way you know there's so much suffering there's so many things out there so that's part of it as well but I think the overarching themes have just been this feeling of that it's really amazing and cool <laughs> yeah Andrea you also were speaking about how you took charge in creating your own team and choosing who to work with when you are living with cancer, I know that so many people feel completely out of control and like they have so little power in this situation. What were the choices that you made to make yourself feel more empowered in this very, you know, difficult situation? 
I think that I've learned so much about control through this process. I am a person who really likes to be in control. And I wasn't, no matter how much I tried to be in control during having cancer, there was lots of things that I could not be in control of. So one thing I did was, it was like a job having cancer. It was, you know, I had a binder with, and either my sister or a friend came to every doctor's appointment with me and took notes. And so, because while it was happening, I don't know how much I was listening, you know? And so it was also nice to have another person there who could, I could reflect with after and say, what did you think about when they said this? And, and also to listen to my intuition about meeting a doctor who I was told was the best so-and-so at this whatever, and then meeting them and not liking them and trusting myself that, okay, I don't like this person. I don't like the way they're talking to me. And so I don't care if they're the best doctor, especially the medical oncologist whom I'm going to have a relationship with for the rest of my life. I see him every six months and I needed to like him. And I still really like him. And he was in the room with my partner at the time and my sister and my best friend when we were making, when I was making the decision whether to have chemo or not. And it was terrifying. Everyone was crying and he, you know, he was there through this process of two people thinking I shouldn't, and two people thinking I should, and him thinking I should, but he sat there with us all and let us make this decision. You know, this decision of whether or not to get chemo. I mean, I, I would love to hear how that went with this person that you chose that turned out to be the right person to sit and listen. It was him and also my naturopath that I had a long relationship with at the time. My naturopath, I would take all the statistics that my oncologist was giving me and I would go and sit with my naturopath and we would talk about statistics because everyone was pushing me towards chemo and I did not want it. And it was hard for me to decipher if the reason I didn't want chemo is because I was scared of it and because I saw what it did to my dad and best friend. Or if I didn't want chemo because the way that the statistics were playing out is that it wasn't going to benefit me in the way that I was being told it might. I didn't have any readable cancer in my body. And so I couldn't justify poisoning my whole body in the chance that I might have some cancer that they couldn't see in an MRI or a PET scan. I couldn't make it make sense. So it was an unpopular decision I made. And my family was terrified and people didn't like that I was making that decision. But I, it was the decision I made. And the fact that my oncologist was okay with that. And then later, okay with me saying, and also I'm not taking this medication. <laughs> you know, I just over and over kind of went, against what I was being told. And I still feel like that's the right decision, but I have had to say publicly <laughs> to the people that I love that if cancer comes back and it turns out this was the wrong decision, although we won't even really know, it could be that I got cancer for another reason, please don't lecture me. <laughs> and, um, and maybe next time I, I will make a different decision. Yeah, there's an opportunity to make a different decision at every turn, you know? So that's, that's great. Okay. I now want to know a little bit more about when you knew that this was a great match for, for this art piece. 
was there a moment or a part of a conversation that you can tell me about right now where you were like, I think this is going to be a great match? That's a hard question. I don't know that there was a, an aha moment, but maybe a couple weeks into our conversation when we were really talking about, you know, when we got beyond the provided questions, the icebreaker questions, and then really started talking about things, I just, I, I felt they had made a good match in part because of what I had done and what she had gone through. And in that, like Andrea said, we are kind of like-minded about a lot of things. And uh, so it was just, it was really nice. And so it was really nice to work with her. That's why, more part of why I wanted to include her in this process because it's about, the piece is about her. So it needed to be a collaboration. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. I like the idea of figuring out how to make it feel like a collaboration. Andrea, what part of the collaboration process did you enjoy the most? I think I liked different parts of it for different reasons. There was something liberating at first to be able to, it felt a bit like therapy. Well, I guess I should back up and say, at first I was worried that I'm meeting this new person, but really I'm not necessarily supposed to ask them about them you know Linda's supposed to be listening to me tell my story but it's kind of awkward to not say and how about you or you know and of course we got but at first that wasn't what it was about so I was nervous about that but then it ended up feeling a bit like similar to therapy in this way where it's somebody listening to my story who is not going to judge me or make to try to make decisions for me and that's a bit liberating but it's nice, like I mentioned earlier, it was nice to know that Linda was out there in Montana, you know, just someone I never would have met who was interested in this process, who I like collaborating. I liked that it was an artistic expression of my story that I wasn't doing, but was kind of being done on my behalf. Just as a really unique, such a good idea and a great way to see a different side of this experience that I didn't imagine I would see. Yeah. So Linda, you're in Montana. Is that correct? I am. That is correct. And Andrea, where are you? I'm in Portland, Oregon. Wow. Amazing. So it is truly a, a unique experience and a possibly unattainable connection that you get to have. Yeah, like Andrea said, I don't know any other way that we would have connected. Yeah, well, that's amazing. And I guess as we leave here, you know, Andrea, if you could speak to someone who's maybe in that point of first finding out that they have, you know, this life-changing diagnosis, what would you want them to know? And additionally, what would you want someone who cares about them to know? I think I would want um, the person who's been diagnosed to, to know, take one step at a time, take your time and make sure that you are surrounded by people, both your, both the medical professionals and community, if possible, with people who will listen to you and help you. And for anyone who's supporting someone through it, I would say, 
make sure you're also taking care of yourself because you can't take care of somebody else if you're not taking care of yourself. And make sure that you also have people, maybe even people who are not in any way related or connected to the person with cancer that you can go to and talk because it's also happening to you, the support person, and you need support as well. Yeah, that's great. And Linda, as someone who has worked with cancer patients in many different facets, what is something that you would say to someone who is a part of the community of someone who's living with cancer? Obviously support them, but don't, I would say don't push them. Be there to listen and really listen. If they don't want to talk, don't make them talk. Just be there. 